And we are live, 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 live. One, two, three, live. In dun 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 dun. Hello, welcome to another episode of Streaming Evil Life. Whoa, I actually said the title correctly this time. Welcome to Streaming Evil. Welcome to Streaming Evil Live. My name is Jeff, a.k.a. Jeffrey Murdergram. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I really am that lame. Um, no, that's more of a joke. Um, today was a crazy day. I meant to do this yesterday. Uh, there was so much stuff that went down that I was glued to the news. I'm not going to talk about that stuff. It's not not going to talk about that now. Um, but a lot of stuff went down. It was really crazy. And I was like, you know what? I don't think I'm going to stream today. And then, of course, uh, today, same thing. I was going to do it this afternoon. Daughter daughter uh, woke me up. I should say I woke my daughter. No, my daughter never went to sleep. That's what happened. Daughter never went to sleep. Maybe for like 45 minutes. So I could only do a short form show. So I said, you know what? I says, you know what? I am going to wait until the evening to do my show. Uh, so, yeah. My wife just made sushi. Uh, I didn't know she could do that. She rules. Did a great job. It was awesome. Uh, so I have a belly full of sushi. And I even have some sushi for tomorrow. Really excited about that. I uh, haven't been able to eat sushi for almost a year because uh, I refuse to eat in inside restaurants. Uh, that's how I, that's my, the secret of my sauce. I'll only eat outdoors. Uh, it's just the way I roll. So, oops, sorry. I'm focusing on sharing this link for a second, and then we'll uh, we'll get to it, shall we? Shall we? Yes, we shall. There we go. Final link of the night. This is just small talk, people. I don't mind doing that. We got a got a fun show for us today. So we'll do that. You know. That's how I roll. That's how I roll. <clears throat> no seltzer. Just a big old jug of water. This is my new jam. I'm still, I'm still about that seltzer. I'm still about that seltzer life, but in an effort to uh, not eat so much food, uh, as well as stay hydrated, as well as you know, you would be surprised how dehydrated I was all the time and didn't even realize it. What I really mean to say is you might not know how dehydrated you are. Drinking water, it's good stuff. But I uh, I don't usually go live on Thursdays ever for this show. I want to try and keep things to Wednesday. But like I said, this Wednesday was a crazy Wednesday. So a little bit different, a little bit different situation, sort of situation. Um, some... Updates of things. Oops, someone's 
messaging me? I don't know. So check it out if you look right here. I know it doesn't look like much, but I have set up my old work rig right here. This is a Canon XHA1S, and it is going to be redigitizing all of the tapes, all of the Lodi tapes, straight to the computer, digitizing everything. Why? Because we are doing some serious work this year. Um, if you thought 1979 was a lot of work, just wait. Oh, boy, you have no idea what's coming. You don't even know what's coming down the pike. It's coming. And uh, I'm just digging the office. Let me show you. Let me give you a quick tour of the new office. As you can see here, uh, that's where the desk used to be. Look, kind of see. Get out of the way. The desk used to be right over there. And I got to find places to hang up these framed posters and whatnot. And um, this is now going to be like a lounge area. There's going to be a couch right there, like a love seat or something. TV at some point when I can afford one is going to go over there. Uh, records. You can see all the records on the front. Those go in there, right? So it's good. You can see Glenn Danzig. Right there behind me, there's Glenn. There's Glenn is right there in the orange. He's saying, if you don't know the song, what the F are you doing here? Which I, I really like this idea. This is my idea for like the tagline for they came from Lodi um, for marketing purposes uh, to avoid to avoid as little controversy as possible, I love the idea of saying, if you don't know what this movie is, then what the F are you doing here? I think that's a really good tagline um, that really sort of makes it like a, like a fun secret that we're all in on, you know, a fun secret that, 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 that only a select few are privy to. I think that that works. That's really great. So there's that. Um, what else can I tell you before we dive in, get started here? Um, falling behind on a lot of movie watching. Got to catch up on that when I get a chance. And uh, I did a video today about Nicolas Cage's The Wicker Man. Check that out on the page. Oh, big, big piece of news. Tomorrow is the Monty Melnick episode. Uh, Ramon's tour manager, Monty, did... 2,200 shows with the Ramones. Uh, I asked him a couple of hard-hitting questions, a few. Um, it was a fun, interesting conversation. If you haven't read Marty's book, you got to check Monty's book, Marty. I did a lot of that. I was I was saying the wrong name, so I was talking to him. I had to like, cut that stuff out. You'll see a lot of jump cuts. There were a bunch of edits, uh, which is not really my thing. I don't like to do that. I like to do stream of conscious. Less editing, the better. Um, but that airs tomorrow at 3 p.m. on this channel. Uh, so check that out. It's about an hour and 20 minutes. And uh, a couple of interesting Ramones tidbits for uh, if you're a casual Ramones fan, you may not be aware of. So um, take a look at that. And uh, what else can I tell you? What else can I say? I got more episodes coming up. There is a plan to do. I'm trying to figure out how to do this. There is a plan to do a feature length commentary for Return of Living Dead trying to figure figure this out. 
What's up, Oni? We haven't seen you in a while. Hail. Hail to the Oni. So keep your eyes peeled for that as well. Return of Living Dead commentary. We're going to go. We're going to talk. Uh, eventually, uh, I, I, I hope to have a special guest with me. We'll see. Um, going to get Joe from Mr. Monster to join me. Hopefully, we'll see if that works out. Maybe it won't. Maybe it will. Depends on if I can sync up and get production running, you know, because he's he's somewhere else in the country. I'm in New York. It, it just makes it it's, it's difficult. It's difficult to do all these things um, across the internet. But uh, you know, Streamyard's a miracle, truly. Streamyard is a miracle. I'm, I'm so grateful for it. I'm grateful for technology. Um, all right, that's enough uh, BS. Let's uh, let's dive on in to what we're going to be talking about. What the episode today? What is our episode? about today. This is episode 46, by the way. You might notice in the title, I no longer am doing Roman numerals. It's all about numbers now. So this is episode 46 of the Streaming Evil Live show. And today, hey, you got to admit, all that pre-talk has got to be better than me going, buy my stuff, buy my stuff, buy my stuff. Um, Speaking of which, I do have a a slew of, of content that um, I would call it uncut content that may or may not be found interesting by people. And I'm trying to think if I'm going to uh, put it up, but if I do put it up, it may be, I may do this. The YouTube allows you to do this membership sort of thing. It's kind of like Patreon. I'm thinking about doing a pseudo Patreon sort of thing through YouTube. We'll see. I don't know. Come on. Let's talk about some misfits. Let's talk about Glenn Danzig, shall we? Glenn Danzig loves comic books. He loves them. He loves them. Um, he, I did an interview with Sal from Electric Frankenstein, and we talked a bunch about how Glenn uh, was really involved in comic book collections, uh, sorry, comic book conventions uh, back in the, the 70s, even before he was in the Misfits. Sal, uh, Sal said he used to see Glenn at comic book conventions uh, around New- the New Jersey tri-state area, that sort of thing. Um, and uh, that was uh, a fascination that first started uh, with Glenn, for Glenn. Uh, Glenn first developed that fascination when he, you know, was he was in a drugstore. He had a pocket full of money. You've heard this interview, the Puss Head interview, where he talks about having the pocket full of money and he bought famous monsters of film land. And then um, he read it back and forth, back and forth, over and over and over again. Uh, and, and, and that started a long-lasting love affair with uh, comic books, or at least with the horror side of things. Maybe he was into comic books uh, a little bit before that. Um, I don't know. Not an expert, truly. So charge the phone. <sighs> Yeah, Oni, I was that was literally the next thing I was gonna say. Oni asked, didn't Glenn send artwork to Marvel in an effort to work for them in the early 80s? So one of the things that besides getting into comic books and becoming a heavy comic book collector, and I've heard I've heard from various interviews, I've heard like I've heard stories about like Glenn having such a big silver age comic book collection that he would like oh, you know, he wanted money for the arcade. So he'd like open up a thing and look through his be like, okay, this, 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 and this. And then he would sell them uh, for, for money to go play in the arcade, that sort of thing. Um, 
he had he had uh he had some collection and then once he started to get more you know disposable revenue i mean he really became you know in in another uh in another section of danzig's life that we might not be as familiar with as his musician persona glenn danzig is an art dealer he's an art dealer he's a comic book art dealer um and uh i, I don't know how i don't know how successful he's been i don't know how much money he's made doing it but i mean he's been doing it for some time and he's acquired some pieces and there are some great podcasts out there if you can find them uh glenn danzig went on a podcast with uh some comic book guys and talked just about comic the comic book side of things and his his love affair with uh sort of being um an art dealer and uh we we actually have i have another thing and, and I, this this blew me away I mean, Glenn Danzig has an encyclopedic knowledge of comic books uh, as well, which which is kind of interesting, kind of amazing. Um, but what what prompted, what spurned the idea for this episode is actually a piece that Devil Man posted in seven, seven, uh, Seventh House um, by Lethal Amounts, and it's called here. Let me show you. It's called Monsters, Fiends, and Franzetta. Frank Franzetta. A deep dive into Danzig and the Misfits' long relationship with comics. I haven't read this. I'm going in blind. But I thought in my head, I said, well, let me rack my brain and see if I can sort of add to this article anything that may not be in the article. Because I know of a couple of things. So I have those on, on standby to speak about as well. But we're going to first go through this article. Uh, because it probably has a lot of information that I don't have. Um, even if I might have a couple of things that it has. Who knows? Sorry. Very low energy tonight, if you couldn't tell. He buys original pieces of artwork from the old days of comics. Yes, he does. We're going to look at a video. This this video really hope the video sort of um, boosts my energy levels here, folks. Okay. Um, you know, it's funny. They have this picture of, this is by uh, Basil Gogo who is in my documentary. I interviewed Basil before he died. And he did the artwork for American Psycho and for Famous Monsters. And it's funny how they kind of put this piece uh, up here when talking about Glenn Danzig. Um, kind of interesting. And I wonder what Danzig's feelings were about the American Psycho album cover, because you know Glenn was a fan of Basil. And yet at the same time, Here's Basil doing, you know, artwork for a band called The Misfits based on his band called The Misfits. You know what I'm saying? That must have annoyed him a little bit. I I, I would imagine he would have been uh, irked, you know, especially it's at a time, a transitional period in Danzig's history. When did this come out? 96 or 97? I think it was 97. 97 is sort of an awkward an awkward year for Glenn. He's, he's sort of lost his voice or something happened to his voice something that we're going to have to talk about someday. Um, and he didn't have a very stable lineup of Danzig, a lot of re uh, revolving door members going in and out. Um, a lot of sort of, I, I wouldn't say, you know, there was no prodigy talent. When you think of Danzig, you think of premium guitar, you know, kind of like the, 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 um, the place that the, the shoes that John Christ created when they started doing Danzig. And that was like a period where you didn't have any sort of real hot shot. You had all these, I don't know, sort of no-name guitar players, I think. And then all of a sudden, here's Glenn's 
old band or version that's based off of his old band putting out a brand new album called American Psycho and they get Basil to do a painting. I mean, you would think that Glenn would be like, holy crap, look at that Crimson Ghost painting. It maybe gave him a little bit of a, like a half chub. Like, I think I would have a half chub if I was familiar. If, if the revered Basil Gogo, who who did all that uh, stuff for Famous Monsters of Filmland, that's what he's really known for, Famous Monsters. Um, he did all that stuff for Famous Monsters, and now here he is doing the Crimson Ghost. Like, that might, that might irk me. That might make me a little mad, okay? Or at least try to think about how Glenn Danzig might feel about that, because I don't actually know. We do a lot of assuming about what Glenn may or may not feel. Uh, all, all, uh, what's it called? All theory based. Obviously, we don't know how Glenn feels about anything. Why? Because we didn't ask him. We don't know. We don't actually know. Um, but yeah, interesting. Interesting choice is what I meant to say. Interesting choice uh, for 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 the cover photo of this thing, the Crimson Ghost. I've been calling him Basil Gogo. It's Basil Gogos. I don't know. I always butcher his name, whatever. The Crimson Ghost by Art R.I.P. R.I.P. to a legendary artist. I really should should have a little bit more respect for Basil Gogos, who, if in case if you're just joining us, is in my documentary, They Came from Lodi. That's right. I interviewed Basil about the Misfits. He didn't have a lot to say. It was a very weird interview. He said a gave me a couple great sound bites. Um and I was very sad to hear that he had passed. Um, really weird situation. I couldn't believe he was he was willing to do an interview with me, but he did, and I have it. Um, the Crimson Ghost by artist Basil Gogos. Gogos was one of the most influential monster artists of all time. His magnificent renderings of famous movie ghouls such as Bela Lugosi as Count Dracula and Lon Chaney as Frankenstein graced at least 50 covers of the equally influential magazine Famous Monsters of Filmland. His painting of the Crimson Ghost appeared on the cover of the 1997 Misfits record, American Psycho. Gogos also contributed to various illustrated men's interest magazines which Glenn Danzig cites as an influence. An early image of the Crimson Ghost first appeared in the Famous Monsters of Filmland, issue 14, 1961. So it's all tied together. So that must have really put, you know, gotten in his craw, in his craw, in his caw, to like see Jerry hiring Basil to do that, you know, I would imagine. Um... Here's what he says. Oh, it's so small, this type. Ready? Crap. All right. Let me try and read this with my bad eyes. Oh, I didn't know you could do that. When I was a kid, I really liked comic books and not just American. I liked European, especially Japanese comics, too. Yeah, dude. That dude loved manga. He loved manga and he loved anime. He loved all sorts of stuff, which in the 70s for an American was incredibly obscure. Uh, and hard to come by. As a comic fan, I'm really frustrated with the American comics. They are just like for little kids and geeks. Finally, I was able to do something about it instead of complaining about it. So I started my own company and hired the best artists and writers to put out these crazy, violent, erotic comics. You know, that's what I did. And the funny thing is that, you know, Glenn doesn't use his money for anything. Apparently, even the movies. I always thought that Glenn 
I always thought that it was Glenn investing in his uh, movies, you know, Glenn using the Misfits money, Misfits reunion money. Apparently that's not the case. Um, but the only thing that Glenn does invest his money in is in Verotic. And I would imagine, I would imagine, I don't actually know, but I would imagine he's probably, I, I would imagine Verotic has been uh, a tax write-off for him or, or Danzig's losses uh, are a tax write-off for Verotic or however that works. I, I don't see I, – it feels like something that Glenn would never give up on, but I don't see how it's really made a lot of profit over the years. I don't know. I really, really don't know. I can't speak to that. Um, Oni wants to shout out to Verotic Indie Comics predating the Comics Gate movement. There you go. What is the um, – Oni, what is the Comic Gate – what's the Comics Gate movement? I'm not familiar with that at all. You got you to gotta fill me in. Glenn Danzig has done many things in his 65 years here in this hell we call Earth. He displayed a talent and desire to be involved with music from a very young age, ultimately teaching himself to play the guitar. Wow. Did he teach himself? I did not know that Glenn taught. Well, I guess it makes sense. He took piano lessons. So his, his musical background kind of starts with piano, but I never heard about how Glenn Danzig came into the guitar. I guess he, he did. He taught himself. Danzig had three brothers, and before he was 12, already had the police's attention after getting busted for a B&E, breaking and entering to all you law-abiding citizens. Sorry, law-abiding kids. His mother worked in a record. I did not know that either. His mom, who passed away during, in 2018, when they were performing at the Prudential Center in New Jersey, that was the day that Glenn's mom passed away. She's also, um, because Glenn's dad was a veteran, I think, of Korea, um, Glenn's mom, all the way up into, she, was, she died in her 90s, I believe, and she was involved with the VFW in Lodi, New Jersey, um, like all the way up until she died or, you know, all the way up until, you know, uh, her, her twilight years, uh, doing various uh, sort of things for the VFW. Really cool. Um, Oni says, indie comics not from the big two Marvel DC. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, I guess you would be right. Because, well, I mean, I would say, Oni, I would add to that. You have Image. You have Valiant. You have Vertigo, right? Am I right about that? Comics Gate Comics also fund their comics via crowdfunding. I, mm, you're, you're teaching me some stuff here that I did not know either. Well, this is a very, I'm learning a lot this episode. This is it's been a learning experience for me. I'm I appreciate it. I'm grateful for that. Um. So his mother worked in a record store, huh? How about that? Yeah, the breaking and entering. Danza got in a lot of trouble when he was a little kid. He was like drinking, and he'd like, you know, do all sorts of vandalism, sneaking into concerts. You know, he was uh, as he himself has said. You know, he was a bad little kid getting into all sorts of jimboree. You know what I mean? Um, so, and according to Glenn, according to Glenn, well, here, it, it, there's a link here. Let's see where the link goes. Where does the link take us? Ah, well, this is from 994. Oh my God. I have to read. I've never, oh man, we got to take a look at that. All right. I'll save that for another day. I can't, can't look at that now. It says the dark Knight returns. I like it already. 
And according to Glenn, she would bring home records by the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. He would still. So there you go. So that answers our question, Robbie. Um, we would. Uh, <laughs> we were wondering if Glenn was into the Beatles or not. That answers the question. Glenn most certainly was into the Beatles at some point in his life. His mom used to bring home the records. I would imagine that he would have embraced it. Um, Oni says, uh, Glenn did it before this movement in the 90s. Well, Verotic started in 94. So when did those other companies come in? Uh, Image, IDW, and Dynamite are huge. Dark, right, Dark Horse. Well, wait a minute. Uh, Dark Horse was, was publishing back in 90, maybe even the late 80s. I don't know if I agree with this. What about the Crow, the 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 label that put out the Crow comic book? What about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? I mean, there were definitely indie books, and all those are really, you know. And then if you really want to go back in the day, I mean, look at all the underground comics. You have like uh, R. Crumb, that stuff. Felix the Cat. You know what I'm saying? So like, I I don't know, I don't know when you start to say that that it uh, what qualifies as comics gate really. Uh, and then think about all the horror comics of the 70s. You have um, Creepy, Uncle Creepy, Creepy Magazine, right? I don't know. I don't know. Um, he would soon start purchasing records on his own from bands like the Velvet Underground, New York Dolls. And uh, the first album by a band, Danzig says, changed his life, Black Sabbath. We've heard that many times. He talks about looking at the record and just buying it right then and there. This probably would have been 70, 71, when Glenn was 16 or 17 years old, right? He, that's when he discovers Sabbath. Uh, and Glenn is mentioned in many interviews. He didn't used to mention it in the he never mentioned it in the 80s in interviews, never mentions it in the 70s. But the 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 Velvet Underground and the New York dolls uh are talked about endlessly in later Glenn Danzig interviews. He he talks about them a whole bunch. He talks about them. I, I put that in 1979, talked about it with Steve Jones from the Sex Pistols. Um the intrigue that first drew Danzig to Sabbath's self-titled mind-bending debut was the mysterious, somewhat unsettling image of model Louisa Livingstone dressed up like a witch on the cover of the record. The photo was taken in front of the Maple Durham windmill, which at the time was quite dilapidated, giving it a sinister vibe with Livingstone standing all alone in front of the water mill clad in a billowing hood and hood hooded velvet robe clad in a billowing hooded velvet robe Danzig was also a huge comic book fan and endeared himself to publications such as Chamber of Chills uh, adult oriented action comics like Man's Life as well as horror themed comics as far as music went he would be a drum roadie for a local band before playing in several blues focused bands preceding the formation of the Misfits and later Sam Hain. Let's take a look at that Black Sabbath cover for a second. I want to see that. Black Sabbath. Self-titled. There we go. Let's just look at that real quick. What is this that stands before me? Figure in black. da da no, 
Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, man, that is, I mean, that, that image in 1970, that, that really captured young Glenn's imagination. Look at that image right there. Let's see here. Boom. Yeah. Oni, Oni agrees. The underground comics have always existed. Look at that. There's, there's the model and she's standing in front of the, the house. It is all dilapidated. What's interesting too, is the color. You know, there's like it's almost like she's like, well, I have sunglasses on, but it's like, yeah, you know, even for my monitor, she's she's got like an off green hue and the leaves are really red. Of course, yeah, I agree, man. Totally an iconic album cover and very simple similar that uh dance with me. Uh T S O L. I always am reminded of this album cover. Right? That album cover right there by TSOL always reminds me of the Black Sabbath cover. There you go. They 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 really sort of have a, a similar a similar aura to them for me at least. I guess it's not quite the same, but um, and then look at look at Danzig and then look at Danzig's uh, uh, Death Red. AOs. Is there any? Do you think that there is any coincidence that there isn't a coincidence? Oh, right. It's death. Yeah, it's death red. Sabeos. Look at that. And I'm sure that I'm sure that that I mean that is it definitely had something to do right there. You could see the the similarity. Although I would say that that death red looks way more like um, what's it called? Oh, I miss it. I would say that it looks way more like the um, TSOL death red does. But, and then if you know, the other funny thing too, is probably to not like, probably not to make it look like you're, He's ripping off Sabbath. You know, he calls it Sabaoth. He didn't want people to make the comparison uh, red Sabbath to black Sabbath, right? I mean, that's literally what's going on right here. I'm surprised no one's brought that up. You know, red Sabaoth versus black Sabbath. Interesting. Um, just, but it just goes to show you that Glenn, Glenn loves to wear his, his influences on his sleeve. That's what he does. Lovingly, he wears it lovingly and sometimes takes all the credit for it, much to everybody's dismay. But there you go. That's the there's the die die, my darling album cover. Glenn just was like, I want Chamber of Chills number 19 from September. This is from the 50s, I believe. Maybe the 60s, who knows? And he wanted he wanted that and he got it. It's a great cover, man. Think about how much more collectible, how he increased the value of that comic book cover because he used it for his own cover. It, it, it like almost increases the value in the same way that everybody wants Chris star, the warrior skull warrior, which we will talk about in a few. Sorry, that's chamber of chills. Number eight, but why does it say number 19 sep September? Huh? Um, Hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Still, the desire and aspiration to becoming a comic to become a comic book artist was something that he never lost sight of. So now this is what Oni was talking about. There is a story that Glenn, in addition to also going to photography school, also uh, went to Marvel and to DC with a portfolio trying to get hired as an artist. And this is all while he's thinking about doing music or doing music, whatever, whichever the case. And he claims, this is the story, and I think this is straight up BS. I don't believe it. I just don't believe it. He has said in the past that he submitted his portfolio and never heard back from them or they rejected him. And then later on, he would just see his artwork show up in Marvel Comics. And I just, I I can't get over the mental gymnastics that was involved in cooking up that pot of gumbo. Sorry, Uncle Glenn. I'm sorry, but that's just the way I feel. Um, Hopefully he will never watch this. (laughs) Sorry. Um, So, sorry. I'm like in a mind fog today. Uh, concerning this point, uh, something we should clear up is the rumor that Glenn Danzig ever worked in a comic book store, something that he has called BS, created by people he declined interview requests from. If anything, and you know, I'm sure that Lethal Amounts is friends with Glenn Danzig, so I'm sure they had uh, a, a correlation or a, some sort of, huh, Glenn Danzig, one of the last divas... Stalker had a little talk with the definitely need to read that. Oh, this was from 2004. Hmm. Let me see. That's from 2005. Roughly around the time. So it's just started. We'll take a look at that another day. We're not going to look at that now. Um, If anything is clear about a kid version of Danzig, it is this. His preoccupation with comic books would translate to a lifelong involvement in the world of comic art, which he would draw inspiration from to create images for the misfits, Samhain, and his solo career. How true that is. Comics involved not only his career in music, but also his comic book venture with artist Simon Bisley, The Biz who is held in high reverence. Bisley, like Danzig and the Misfits, is a legend. He got his early break from Raw, Rock Action Worldwide, which published his early work. His defining work, which would later be showcased in Heavy Metal Magazine, 2000 AD, Lobo and Judge Dredd. There's a great, he did a great um, split, not split, a one-off, a one-shot. What's up, Rue? He did a one-shot. Uh, for DC, it's a Batman Lobo book that's really great. I don't know if anybody's read that Batman Lobo book, uh, but it's a great little one-shot. Back, see, I don't know if they still do this, but for a long time they would do one-shot books where it's like sixty pages. It's one story in like sixty pages, and it's like a, a it's like a prestige format. It's not uh, printed on pulp paper. It was a very fine paper, and um, it was really. <gasps> Really nice books, and and you know they're like six or they were like anywhere between three ninety nine and and six or seven dollars. I have a whole ton of them. Batman ones. They would do tons of Batman ones. As a matter of fact, 
um, usually it was the Ellsworld. It was the Ellsworld books that they would do like that. You'd get like Gotham and maybe like Gotham by Gaslight. I'm thinking might might have been one. I don't know. They're all up on the shelf over there. I got to go look at them at some point. Uh, but but they they uh, that was one of them that Bisley had done. And it's a great great book. Um, and Danzig. Danzig loves that dude. I, you know what's interesting too? Danzig's relationship with comic book industry uh, imagery. Um, sorry. So, you know that is that's that's the other interesting thing about Danzig's career. I guess is that can you really think of any artists in the seventies that were incorporating so much? pop culture reference the way that Glenn Danzig was in a weird kind of way. Glenn Danzig was almost like the Quentin Tarantino of the punk world with what he was doing. It, which is part of what made him so cool because he was incorporating all these elements of pop culture uh, into his own work and making his own sort of like, you know, original tapestry out of things that had come before it's something that, you know, Tarantino does, you know, and both guys have been accused of stealing, you know, in one one shape or form or another. So interesting, though. Um, while we've broached the topic at hand, Danzig's relationship with comic book imagery. Let's get to the origins and complicated story of the Crimson Ghost, known to all Misfits devotees as the official mascot of the band, the fan, the fiend or the fiend skull. What? Oh, I see how that was written. What they're saying is, while we broach the topic at hand, which is Danzig's relationship to comic book industry imagery, let's talk about the origins and complicated history of the Crimson Ghost. So, all right, I guess we are doing, uh, we're going into the Crimson Ghost. Whoa, this is going to be fun. The Crimson Ghost was a 1946 12 chapter psychotronic. Psychotronic is a really fun word. Um, I think. It's really like the word before people call it's called genre film. You hear that a lot. Genre film. What is genre film? Genre film is genre movies, like any genre that's not like a mainstream, you know, I guess, well, really anything that's sort of niche becomes a genre film. So you have, you know, technically a Western could be a genre film, but usually when people talk about genre films, they're talking about psychotronic movies. They're talking about horror films. They're talking about sci-fi films. They're talking about, genre fusions like you could have a horror western or you could have uh i guess an action comedy maybe not maybe that would be more mainstream but the word psychotronic is divined as such you know what before i look at it let's see if i can predict it psychotronic is a word that was coined talk about um cult quirky offbeat bizarre Films that don't necessarily fit in any sort of category that usually find um, popularity either at midnight uh, for midnight screenings or in home video source. That's my prediction. Let's see what the actual um, and it's basically a, a, a it's a it's a it was coined in a in a book. It's a it's coined in a book, but it's since become a word. Uh, but let's see how right I am. Let's see how right I am. So it's a psychotronic television serial. Psychotronic, denoting or relating to a genre of movies, typically with science fiction, horror, or fantasy theme. Okay, okay, cool. That were made on a low budget or poorly received by critics. 
1980s, coined in this sense by Michael Weldon, who edited a weekly New York guide to the best and worst films on local television. Psychotronic. Love that name. Love that thing. Whatever. So it's a 12-chapter psychotronic television serial that was filmed in and around Los Angeles. It centers around the nefarious criminal activity of the Crimson Ghost. Yeah, he was a he was a criminal. And the thing that the Kayafa boys, Doyle, Rocky, Jerry by proxy, those guys, they love, they love to talk about how the Crimson Ghost is foiled, spoilers, by a dog. Yeah, the, 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 the series ends, the show ends with a dog jumping on the Crimson Ghost and bringing him to justice. How about that? <laughs> um, it's centered around the nefarious criminal activity of the Crimson Ghost, who is hellbent on destroying the United States with an atomic weapon. Although the Crimson Ghost was shot in black and white with the help of the Crimson Ghost's name, fans of the series would, con- would conclude the hooded cloak worn by the villain was red. Huh. That's so interesting. He also wore a skeleton mask, which was missing a few teeth, with, with deep-set dead eyes peering out through the mask's eye sockets. The Crimson Ghost also wore a collar around his neck, which he would use to take over his victims' minds, enslaving them to his servants. Yeah. Yeah, Doyle was like, and that's our guy? In disappointment towards the... Yeah, yeah. Um, Kenny tells that story, too. It's so funny. It's so funny. Those guys are so bummed about that. One of television's strangest little mysteries, it's never been clear who designed the appearance of the Crimson Ghost, only that the image was the property of Republic Pictures. Bob Mark. Some cinephiles have attempted to credit the Crimson Ghost look to makeup artist Bob Mark, who was in charge of the makeup for the Crimson Ghost. This was not difficult to conceive, as Mark was known for having the ability to turn normal-looking people into monsters for films such as Drums of Fu Manchu, where he created the frightening look of the Dicoits Fu Manchu's lobotomized servants. Let's we got to take a look at what those look like. What do the the lobotomized manservants look like, huh? I'm curious, are you? Let's find out, shall we? I send my murder gram to all these monster kids. See what pops up, huh? Hmm. Fu Manchu. There you go. Let's take a look. Hmm, not seeing anything though. It's not showing me any um just Fu Manchu. Oh, I guess these guys maybe. Huh. Whatever. Not impressed. Not impressed. Um here's a nice revolving gallery that shows us all the stuff. There he is. That, as you know, everybody knows that image. That's on Legacy Brutality. Probably lifted straight from there. The very famous image of the Crimson Ghost. This is publicity still that was used for Misfits stuff. But I think that was at behest of Caroline Records, right? Um, Although it, this has never been confirmed, it seems to be a pretty safe bet giving that Mark's reputation, giving Mark's reputation for being a monster maker. So there you go. A press kit for the Crimson Ghost. This is the Crimson Ghost. Um, 
Other images include colorized stills from the cereal. Basil. Okay, here we go. When it comes to images, when it comes to the image becoming synonymous with the misfits, the use of the skull image was chosen jointly by Danzig and Jerry only, according to Misfit Central. It has been described as an inexact copy of the Grimson Ghost, tweaked just enough to avoid lawsuit by Republic Pictures, who strangely never pursued the misfits for the strikingly similar fiend skull design. See, this I find kind of hard how can you d differentiate the two when you see the crimson ghost that's not different from i mean look look i mean it is an exact copy of the crimson ghost you can't say that their 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 alterations were enough i guess maybe unless you're talking about the fiend club unless he's speaking specifically from the fiend club skull but like this i don't know that does that's that's a that's a hard pill to swallow for me um, it's the striking, strikingly similar. It's not strikingly similar. It is. It's the same thing. In 1997, the Misfits engaged the services of artist Basil Gogos, another greatest of all time movie monster artist whose artwork had graced the covers of famous monsters of Filmland 50 times. For the album American Psycho, Gogos created his version of the Crimson Ghost at the request of Jerry Only who, like Danzig, was a fan of his legendary work. Here's Gogos on how that went down. The first thing I did for them was a painting that looked like the Crimson Ghost. Then I did one of Jerry Only, a portrait of him in costume with lightning coming down and striking him. It was used, as, it was used on the cover of one of the rock magazines. So look at that. In 1999... Gogos would create the cover for the Misfits album Famous Monsters, an homage to Famous Monsters of Filmland. And the 2013 image used for the horror Xmas single that mashes up the Crimson Ghost with the Grinch from Dr. Seuss. Get out of here. That's Basil as well? No, it's not. Huh. That was done by Basil Gogos. Really? I I get I don't know why I can't see it because it's too cartoonish. You know, as as much as I think it's kind of a goofy single, and as much as I hate that it's associated with the Misfits, I love this artwork and I love I love the image. It's great. You can't deny it. I can't deny that. Even though I, you know, again, it's not the Misfits, but. You know, imagine if imagine if Jerry had just called this Jerry only and then horror Xmas and used all the same stuff. It just would be so much cooler. It would be something that I would have to own. You know, I, I don't care to own it because it says the misfits on it. If I'm being honest, that's the truth. So he did that as well. 2013. When did Basil die? I know he died recently. I remember thinking, my God, I have an unseen interview from Basil. I have an unseen interview from a lot of people. I don't say that. I don't say that to brag or to, I'm probably like, it's not that I'm excited. It just blows my mind. Yeah, he died in 2017. He died in 2017, and I interviewed him in 2011. He was born in Alexandria, Egypt. How about that? Huh. Ain't that something? I wonder if he's, is he Egyptian? He was just born there. Now I got to know real quick. Let's take a look. Where was that? Ah, what is that? Turn that down. Oh, my God. 
That was weird. So there's the man. He died at 88. It's a nice age. We should all be so lucky to get to 88, right? Yeah, it's the Crimson Grinch, exactly. So, okay, so he was born to a Greek family. He was Greek, right? Basil Gogos would be a Greek name. Gogo, uh, he was born to a Greek family living in Egypt. Gogos was 16 years old when his family, when he and his family immigrated to the U.S. Interesting. He probably speaks Arabic, I would imagine. But it had to Arabic and Greek. Unreal. I wonder if he had any children. Doesn't say here. He was living in New York uh, when I interviewed him. That's why I was able to get him. Really, really lucked out with that. Got to do something with it. Got to do something with that interview. Um, let's jump back to the Misfits implosion in 1983, to Danzig's time in Samhain and the horn skull imagery used by Danzig during this period and beyond, a.k.a. Bullwinkle. Michael Golden. The origin of the Horn Skull Samhain logo was taken from a mid-80s comic, Crystar, created by artist Michael Golden. In a strange little article written by journalist Frank Centoro from 2010, there is an account of how a young fan approached Danzig backstage at the, at the Electric Banana in Pittsburgh, hoping to talk to him about comics. The kid in question was a fan of Santoro's who tells the story of how he got to chat with Glenn a little about their mutual love of comic books, uh, specifically about the work of Michael Golden. Oh, my God. All right. We got to look. That's something we got to look at right now. Right now. Let's see what it's. The, let's read the rest of this first. Huh. During the conversation with Santoro's young pal, Danzig admitted to being a big fan of Golden's work. However, beyond this random account, it appears that Danzig never credited Crystar No. 8, where the demonic horn skull first appeared in 1985, nor Golden for the inspiration for that, nor Golden for the inspired logo, which was used by Danzig not only when he was with Sam Hain, but for his solo work as Danzig. After some pretty exhaustive after some pretty exhaustive searching, the only reference I could dig up where Danzig allegedly acknowledged Kristar and Golden was on the word of a then 15-year-old kid. As big as a comic fan as he is, it's kind of hard to imagine Danzig didn't find inspiration for the Sam Hain logo on the cover of Kristar number eight. A and a quick review of the timeline supports this. Kristar was published in July of 1984, and Sam Hain's first album, which uses the horn skull image, was released in August of 1984. So there you go. There you have it, kids. I mean, it's not, guys, this is not rocket science here to know what happened. You know what I'm saying? This is not rocket science. I mean, I think it's kind of, I think it's kind of insane to not, well, the nose is a little different. Well, that the nose is different because the, the, the girl's knees are, are blocking it. I wonder, and you know what's interesting? I don't think, I've never looked inside the book. I don't know if that skull doesn't appear inside the skull. It just literally appears on the cover, right? So crazy. And now 
the quest, and then that you know the story is, or the story that Glenn used to tell at least at some point was that he submitted his artwork, and that was one of the things which I always thought was just absolute just hogwash. There's no way. Let's see what the account is. I'm very curious to hear this. this is the same account? Yeah, it is. All right, they just linked it three times. We gotta. I think we gotta look at this for a second. Hey, true believers, Frankie the WOP here with an installment of Esoteric Comics History. Today, we're looking at Glenn Danzig's swipe file. The file is labeled Michael Golden. My friend and blood brother, Safar Schmidt, has been telling this tale of encountering the dark son of rock and roll for years. They talked about comics and uh, the anxiety of influence. Many of you may know about Danzig's famous swipe, but I am surprised by how many folks do not. I love to tell this. I love telling the story. I remember once telling this story in front of my publisher, Mr. Dan Nadel, and an assortment of comics folks. When I say Christar number eight, Dan shook his head and said, I can't believe I publish you. You have the most re T A R D Y re T A R D E E D. Can't believe I just can't spell that word. Stories. Ha ha. So this is this one is an old favorite. Try to imagine Danzig's Elvis-like speaking voice when reading the tale below. Uh, Sphar Sphar would usually do Danzig's voice, which always cracked me up. Ready? So here it is: the story. Thursday, April twenty fifth, nineteen eighty five, all ages event at the infamous Electric Banana Nightclub, Pittsburgh, PA. Sam Hain, Glenn Danzig's post Misfits outfit was little more than a year old, but already making a second stop in the burr. My punk rock sponsor, my sister's boyfriend, I love that, my punk rock sponsor, my sister's boyfriend had a band that opened for Sam Hain uh, the first time they came through and had become friends with Mr. Zig. By way of doing me a solid, a polite introduction was made. made. Glenn was less than enthusiastic, uh, sorry, Glenn was less than enthused to be shaking the hand of a 15-year-old kid, but I was meeting a hero of sorts, which was anxious and was anxious to find out a little about our mutual interest, comics. I asked, what comics do you read? He, he replied, uh, nothing you would know. Like what? Mm, mostly 50 stuff. You're into ECs, Craigston, Wood, Elder. What? Well, I can tell you like Michael Golden. Uh, yeah, he's one of my favorite artists. I know, you ripped off your logo off of the cover of Crystar Number 8. Uh, I had to finish it. Wow, so there you go. He admits it right there. He actually admits it. It's true. The Sam Hain Danzig iconic skull, synonymous with Glenn's projects to this day, a symbol of darkness and menacing evil, is a tracing of a Michael Golden illustration used to sell one of the most half-witted, lame-brained children's toy flops of the last quarter century, admittedly. Ouch. And all the... the um, that's so great. What a great story, dude. What a great... Oh, here's, an, here's, another, here's another little story. It's funny. I never thought twice about calling him out. I was a cocky kid, I suppose. And this was a pre-steroid Glenn, not so intimidating. We were standing eye to eye, and I never liked someone prejudging me. What's funny is how hard he would later cling to the Wolverine in modern comics. He was definitely playing the 50s, 60s thing then. I had several comic dealer friends who he patronized for decades, and he was well-liked in those circles. 
After a few other encounters, there would be irrefutable proof of his pretentiousness, but I've got to give it up to him for vision, talent, and salesmanship. I mean, his appropriation of pop culture reference points, the Misfits logo being adapted from the famous monster's masthead, or the Crimson Ghost uh, becoming their mascot, may, may not seem inspired nowadays, but many other less talented cats, uh, Frank Kolsnick, have really made a name doing that SHIT since then. Hmm. Perhaps he was a populist art pioneer. Michael Golden, on the other hand, is still one of the giants in comics, a maverick and a raw, unparalleled talent. Very few of his 80s contemporaries have had his influence, and he would still and his work still comes from the mind through the hand. And no and no photo referenced or researched. Not photo referenced or researched. And those covers of Christar are amazing. Let's see if he says anything else now. I don't know. There are a bunch of it. Oh, here we go. Gee, Joey, thanks for enlightening us to the idea of homage in the punk hardcore community. I never would have realized that a band attempting to identify itself with its hometown by bastardizing a sport team's logo or making an ironic nod to an arena rock band stature by reimagining their logo with Van Halen wings or Motley Crue umlauts would constitute an homage and not an attempt to steal something without anyone knowing. But as far as dancing is concerned, perhaps what you missed is the humor and the fact that Glenn obviously traced a Michael Golden drawing to use uh, as the featured graphic for Sam Hayden Danzig albums, posters, and T-shirts. And if it is, as you suggested, more to show uh, where the band or person is coming from, be it the ideologically or location-wise, then it's an homage to a silly toy of a sword-wielding crystal warrior. A pretty funny location for a rough-and-tumble, bemuscled warlock to be coming from. Or then again, maybe not. <laughs> wow. Yeah, Glenn. Yeah, I did it. <laughs> so funny, man. Wow, I never, I never saw that before. I did not know that. What a great story. God, the internet's amazing. The internet's amazing. So there you go. Uh, Warren Kramer and Lee Elias. Another borrowed piece of artwork is uh, found on the Misfits' 1984 single, Die, Die, My Darling, from the cover of Chamber of Chills number nine. So it was 19, not eight. Chamber of Chills number 19, published by Harvey Comics in 1953. So it was in the 50s. Pictured earlier in this post. The pre-publication conceptual sketches for Chamber of Chills number 19's cover were done in pencil by Harvey's main man, Warren Kramer, the creator of Richie Rich, then turned over to Lee Elias, who completed the memorable Dead Alive image. It's important to note that we are not breaking this or any of the other images mentioned down for any, re for any reason other than to attempting to cite where these influences came from and how they relate to comics and artists that the band uh, and Danzig found himself inspired or found inspiration in. There you go. Um, yeah. So, okay. So, so far, um, they have not mentioned, uh, the, the, the other things that I pulled up, I guess this, they wouldn't because these are not, these came after Glenn. These are not before Glenn. So I guess these are actually really, uh, sort of 
influenced by Danzig and the Misfits, the ones that I pulled, not not things that influence Glenn and the Misfits. So, oh God, I really suck at reading tonight, don't I? Avaradaro, I can't read that name, whatever. Another guy, Avarardo. Uh, Avarardo. Avarardo Sorelio. You know, you would think that trying to read words in front of the internet, even if there's not that many people watching, would be really humiliating. And it is a little bit, but it really doesn't bother me the way it should, I guess. I don't know. Uh, before we get to Glenn's entry into the world of comic book publications, I wanted to help support the previous statement by running down a few of Danzig's comic book heroes, some of who you may have never heard of. I've never heard of this guy. Since I am powerless against the sensational sleaze that is Italian fumetti. I've never heard of that. Let's look that up. Fumetti is no results found because it's Italian. Let's start with Alvarado Cirello, a master of the erotic genres game. If you know your Fumetti, I guess that's an erotic genre, the, uh, the, pro the prolific artist Alessandro Bifignandi was a Cirello student. And his influence can be seen in Bifignandi's work. Sorello's characterizations of the R-rated comic book proto-vampira-style demon character Lucifera seem to be a good place to start when it comes to Danzig's admir admiration for the artist's work. He is referred to Sorello as one of the premier Lucifera. Jesus. Uh, cover artist and proudly owns an original cover of Lucifera by Sorello which are prized by collectors. His work can also be seen in the erotic comic Maghella, for which he created many X-rated paintings. Huh. And he's, a, he's an in-demand movie poster artist in Italy, painting paints imaginative takes on American films and more. I wonder if that's the dude who did the Flash Gordon um, stuff. Not, not the Alex Ross that everybody is aware of, but earlier than that. His work is akin to what you would see in countless men's adventure adult-style comics, another love of Danzig's. Frank Frenzetta, Frenzetta. This guy is iconic. Everybody knows this guy. Since we've just mentioned the Hollywood icon Vampira, Danzig also owns two original works by Frank Frenzetta's, Frenzetta of Vampira's comic book version. In 1995, Frazetta created original artwork for death for the Death Dealer series of comics for Danzig's comic company Verotic. The title Death Dealer, of course, comes from the 1973 painting of the same name by Frazetta, which famously graces the cover of Molly Hatchett's Molly Hatchett's self-titled first record. So let's take a look at that. Earlier this year, Danzig put a Frazetta piece from his collection up for auction for a cool. $180,000, okay? I'm telling you, Glenn is a mover and a shaker. Wow, look at that. Look at that right there. Boom. Very cool. 
That's what that is. Come on. All right. There you go. So there's Frank's. There's a bunch of Frank's work right there. You can kind of see it. Um. So for six figures for 180k, and just last month, Danzig put another Frenzetta piece up for sale titled Wolfman, which which appeared on the t- cover of Creepy Number Four, published in 1965. The asking price a cool million. So Glenn is trying to sell this cover right now for a million. Look at that. First of all, it's gorgeous. Second of all, I've talked about the creepy story that I think is the influence for TV casualty. Um, I'm not going to talk about it again right here, but go search for that episode. There's definitely a creepy story, and that's where Glenn got the idea for feeding the television screen. I'm sure of it. I am sure of it. So, I mean, Glenn is, Glenn is moving, is making six-figure deals in the wor- world of comics. The centerpiece of the auction, it surprised everyone when it didn't meet the hefty reserve price like similar works have in the past. So, there you go. Look at that, man. So, this is artwork for the lost uh, tracks of Danzig. This is... Uh, Danzig owns the original oil painting for it. As you can see there, there's the uh, his, his bullwinkle skull. Joe Chiodo. Another one of Danzig's go-to artists is Joe Chiodo. Danzig owns some of the artist's original work, specifically an oil painting Chiodo painted for his 2007 record, Lost Tracks. When asked to describe the style of the painting, which features three topless pinup style chicks, one of which is about to be branded with the horned skull, uh, Sam Hain Danzig logo. Glenn compared it to the kind of macho erotica you find in men's oriented comics, which is previously noted Danzig was into. Typically and quite fantastically, these men's interest pulps were about assassins on surfboards and giant bears out to kill Nazis and included half naked women with impossible curves illustrated by the likes of Norman Saunders known as Dean of a male-focused pulp publications, known as the Dean of male-focused pulp publications, and Earl Norum, another high-profile contributor to these magazines, as well as working alongside Stan Lee and Jack Kirby at Marvel. Chioda's work can also be seen on the covers of various Verotic-related comics. The mention of the great Jack Kirby's name logically leads us to Glenn Danzig's relationship with the comic visionary himself. There you go. To Jack Kirby, who Glenn actually knew in real life. Rue knows. Oni knows. The Shadow knows. Jack Kirby. When Stan Lee called Jack Kirby the king of comics, it was no exaggeration. If there's another person that could be held in higher regard in the world of comic books, I don't know their name. And they for sure didn't create Captain America or get a bronze star for his time as a combat soldier in World War II. Of course, Danzig agrees with this statement. And sometime during the early 1990s, Danzig interviewed Kirby along with inker Mike Thibodeau, who worked with Kirby in the late 70s. Here is an excerpt. Oh, man. Oh, man. This is so cool. I did not know he did that. Look at this interview. 
Glenn actually, that's how much Glenn revered Jack Kirby interviewed him. Glenn doing the interview. Here's an excerpt. Glenn Danzig, you created legends. They're actually American myths. It's like when you read about Hercules or Robin Hood or King Arthur. Kids also read about Captain America and the Fantastic Four and Spider-Man. It's the same thing. It's like mythology. And people actually study the history of these heroes. Like what happened in issue number four when it's already 300 issues out and things like that. They want to know the whole story. Jack Kirby. Of course, the way they interpret it. And our work will last maybe not forever, but it will last a long, long time. Remember, Robin Hood was created in the medieval times. King Richard was still king, right? And if you're wondering, yes, Jack Kirby has also created artwork for Danzig's line of comics. I did not know that either. I'm telling you, man, it's like a whole side, whole side to Glenn Danzig. And look at that. Wow. Done by Jack. Oh, yeah, you can see. Look at the face. That's where you really see it. See it in the face. Wow. I bet Glenn was so stoked about that. Talk about bucket list for a dude like that. The Biz. Let's attempt to wrap this up with The Biz, who Danzig has worked with for the last couple of decades. But before we get to that, I must nerd out for a moment about Bisley. He is one of my favorite comic book artists. After getting his first break with Raw, he would he hooked up with Heavy Metal Magazine. His distinctive style of character illustration is akin to that of Frank Frazetta, whom Bisley has cited as one of his biggest influences. Yeah, you can see it. Bisley was incredibly busy during the 90s, churning out work for three influential comic book series, 2000 AD, Judge Dredd, which um, oh, I guess Judge Dredd is separate from 2000 AD, but 2000 AD original, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. 2000 AD is the world, and then Judge Dredd is the character. I don't know how that works. And Lobo, one of DC's most popular characters during the decade, and he did the Batman logo. And um, as to his collaboration with Danzig, it all started in the early 90s, resulting in Bisley's artwork incorporating an image of the horned skull for the cover of the 1993 record Thrall Demon Sweat Live. And he's just done, look at that. This is all the stuff that he's done. Look at all that. There's the there's the cover for Thrall Demon Sweat Live. Uh, artwork. Um, Bisley also did other artwork for Danzig's albums, such as 1999's uh, Danzig Six 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 Satan's Child, where he appears to mash mash up Danzig with Lobo. 2007's The Lost Tracks of Danzig with Joe Chiodo's previously mentioned artwork, and 2015's Devil's Angels. The 2017 single Last Ride and album Black Laden Crown. His official work with Verotic started in 1997 and shows no sign of slowing down. As in October of 2020, Danzig has launched a new title, Muertana, with Bisley's artwork on the cover. Let's take a look at Muertana. Ooh, look at that. There she is, Martana. Actually, I really like that. That dude. Dude loves, dude likes to make comic books. What can we say? There you go. There she blows. All this comic book talk should convince you of at least one thing. Glenn Danzig's vast connection to comic books and how he integrated this style of artwork 
into his musical career, as well as Jerry Only, is something to be both admired and, yeah, pretty jealous of. I'm pretty jealous of it. While it's unclear how massive Danzig's personal art collection is, it's safe to say it, too, would make any collector turn green hell with envy. Now for, you for your fiendish viewing pleasure. Here is over 40 minutes of footage of the Misfits from 1983 at the Henry Ford Community Center in Dearborn, Michigan. This show just had its anniversary. Just I think it was today or yesterday. It was yesterday. Yesterday uh, was the it was 37 years ago um it was for why be something you're not turned 37 years in it danzig talks about the fiend club which if you joined you would get stickers pins records rubber dicks or perhaps a whore delivered right to your door what a world oh man we shouldn't be looking at this but let's do it just for a few seconds I remember this was the first footage I ever saw. This is the first footage I ever saw of the Misfits. Like, you know, I used to imagine, I used to imagine what, can you hear that? Oh, why is it like stalling out? Come on. Don't do that to me. Here, I know what we'll do. I know what we'll do. I know what we'll do. Let's stop that for a minute. Um, share screen. Chrome tab, Misfits. Share audio. Now this should work. All right, let's try it now. Man. I remember... I remember downloading this on some file sharing site. See, this was, I probably downloaded this in 2003. And for a few years before, I was just like, I was like, what? Like, I was, I could only imagine what they looked like and sound like when they played live. I couldn't, I couldn't imagine. My, my brain couldn't fathom. I'd seen, music videos of the new misfits or whatever misfits 95 but i like couldn't imagine actually seeing footage of the original misfits and mind you this is a time before youtube so it's like the only way you're going to see this footage is if you have a vhs bootleg copy or a dvd which existed but was just not readily available at, at the tip of your fingertips the way it is now in a post youtube world and a post Napster world and a post, uh, not Napster world, but a post, uh, you know, um, just like really, really sort of prevalent. Whoa, I just saw a swastika on that kid's shirt. Never noticed that before. Look at Robo there. Just banging away, man. And I remember watching this footage and I just was in awe. I was like, whoa, those are the real, that's the misfits. Those are actually the misfits right there. See the way Jerry was banging his bass like that? Oh, I was so exciting. I was, I just, my, my jaw, my jaw dropped to the ground. Oni says, Oni says, same. This is probably the first footage of seeing the Misfits live on YouTube. Yeah, dude. This is definitely one of the first ones. Probably one of the cleanest copy of the show. 
A lot of old Misfit Studios have poor VHS tape quality generation. Yeah, it's really sad. The quality of this video is excellent compared to my VHS copy, says Rue. Pretty amazing. 18. 18? Where are you playing tonight? Detroit! Look at Glenn. Where's the best He's so shy. In the country. Midwest, Detroit. All right. What about your record coming out? What about it? Tell these people about it. Want to know about your record? Well, we got a new album coming out called Earth AD. Wow. And then we got a seven inch coming out. Just for Fiend Club members, can't get it in the record store. So cool, man. Kind of a dork. Look, he's got the he's got the shin guard on his on his on his arm. Send a whore to your house. Look, he's got the catcher's he's got the catcher's glove that you see in the Glenn Friedman photos. Send us your skulls, everything you got. Your mother, your father, so cool. your brother, everybody. He didn't get the tattoo yet, though. Well, I don't know. Yeah, it was just like, you know, doing what we're doing. Armour, George Germain, our big influences. George Germain. Right. We'll be right you hear that? He, he actually name-dropped George Germain. I totally missed that from 1979. I should have put that in there. How did I miss that? Once again, there you go. Oh. What I wouldn't have given to be at that show. Look at that. I just remember, man, I, I just couldn't, I was in such awe. I was like, I was like, wow, they're like, actually, like, I can't believe this video exists. It just blew my mind. It blew my feeble mind. And you know what the saddest part was, you know, I had no one to talk to about it. There was no, none of my friends were into the misfits. You know, none of my friends were into the misfits. Nobody liked the misfits like me in my town. And I, you know, I had, a, I, had I had a lot of friends, you know, I had some friends and I turned to them and be like, do you realize what this is? Like nobody cared. Nobody cared. Nobody could understand. It's amazing how the internet, in the in the two thousands, and then obviously the two thousand tens is really when it's truly just exploded. How the internet has sort of expanded, um, and allowed people to, you know, sort of be there. Oh, apparently there is a book coming out with the most amazing photos from this show. Taken from behind Robo's kit, and they're absolutely unreal. Is this a Misfits book in particular, or is this just a punk rock book, like a hardcore book? What what kind of book? I'm interested to know. So there is that. Let me let me turn that off for a minute because I want to. No, that's not what I wanted to do. Crud. So here's some of the other. Boy, we're really limping along with this show, huh? Um, God, I kind of want to read about this interview, but don't have it in me right now. And that one, here's something that's interesting. So let's look at this for a second. This is really cool. So this is what I really wanted to talk about. 
Oh, okay. So it's a photography book guy. Guy shot a lot of shows. That's awesome. I want to check that out. Uh, I'll get you that thing, Tanner. I said I'd get you that thing. I'll get you that thing. Don't worry. I'll I'll send uh, I'll send it to you. If that's your if that's your intention with it, I'll send it to you. No problem. I think that's that's awesome. Um, so this is something that some of you probably have seen before. Hold on. Maybe not. It's, we need the audio for this. This blew my mind. This just showed up one day. So here is, this is Glenn Danzig. It's original art show and tell with Glenn Danzig. This is Glenn Danzig really showing off his knowledge of comic books and comic book artists. And man, Glenn could write his own book about comic books, I think, like like a like an information book about comic books. Let me know if you can't hear this. This is from Felix Comic Art, original art show and tell with Glenn Danzig. Oh, It's about eight minutes long. It's amazing. It's amazing to hear him. It's amazing to hear him talk. Like you're gonna hear him. Okay, the the audio is low because friggin' Glenn. I don't know, man. It's all the way up. It's all the way up. Let me let me know if it's any better after I do this. Here, I got an idea. This should make it better. I don't want to blow my ears out. Um, listen to how passionate Glenn is when he talks about this stuff. Um. The yeah, the full hour podcast was a nice. Listen, now there is there. I think there was two podcasts only. I don't think this is the same podcast as the one that I heard. There's a separate one. Sorry, I ate a lot of sushi tonight. Very burpy. Don't know why. Uh, let's take a listen. Uh, this is an incredible twice up Steve Ditko pinup from Spider Man Annual Number Two. How cool. Probably one of my favorite Spider-Man villain uh, characters is Princess Python. Princess Python. <laughs> There's not a lot of Dicko art out out there to begin with, so especially Marvel stuff because he only did 38 issues of Spider-Man. And he just knows everything from the collector back in the day, and I ended up getting two other pieces which I've since uh, traded. And the crime master and the beetle. And you know what's funny? It's like, it's like he, it's like his 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 pat. It's just the to see his passion. I mean, Glenn's passionate about a lot of stuff, but to see his passion, he like comes alive when he when he just talks about this stuff. I don't know. It just kind of blows my mind. He just he knows the history so well. One time, I guess they had all of the pinups from Spider-Man Annual Two. They're all out there now. It is what it is. <laughs> all right, so this is a piece I got from Jack back in the day. Uh, 
I kept trying to get him to sell it and trying to get him to sell it. And finally, uh, look at that. I think he wanted some uh, money to do something for the kids. And uh, he told me he finally would sell it. I mean, I had to pay a lot for it. You know, it's funny. I mean, this is just where, like, think about, like, what, what, like, Danzig made, has made fortune, you know, with music. But where do you think all that friggin', I mean, you just like buying these insane pieces and selling them for vast amounts of money, you know? Uh, also, did you guys check out Glenn's comic website? Where, yes. All right. So we did not, but yes, this is, this is really cool. Glenn, I did mention this. So I, in, earlier in the episode, I mentioned that Glenn has a whole separate life as a very successful art dealer. And then in that Lethal Amounts piece, they talk about how he's well-liked in the art world. And then, you know, I don't know if this, I think there's a different podcast than, than the video, this excerpt that is from the, this video. Um, but uh, Glenn has a website where he sells his art and that's where he works that's that's how he sells pieces as an art dealer dude is an art dealer on the side and a super successful one it's insane it really is insane you don't think you wouldn't think that about glenn you know i remember seeing this in the in a comic you know i bought comics later you know uh, not when they came out of course and i remember this image because it's still when the Hulk looks like a monster. I don't like the later Hulk, you know. It's interesting to hear his his preferences for what he likes and what he doesn't like. You know, uh, his observations. And what's funny is that he lived through that that Silver Age, right? It goes Gold Age, Golden Age, Silver Age. Uh, God, what's next? I don't remember. Well, then you have the modern age, but he, he, he was, he was reading comics all the way back then. I mean, the dude is a comic book reader for what, for like 60 years or like whatever, like, you know, 58 years or some crazy number like that. It's insane. Toned down version. I like this original Jack version where he still looks like a monster. He looks like Frankenstein's monster. Frankenstein. Oh, that's <laughs> really cool. Yeah. And the inks are by Saul Brodsky. So, he just knows, like, oh, he knows who the inker is. Like, it's just nuts. It's just one of my favorite Kirby inkers. So this is another one of my favorite artists. Rat Fink. Very famous. When I was a kid, I never thought this artwork even still existed. And then to see it bigger than twice up. Wow. And maybe about 10 years ago, some of these pieces became available. And uh, You know, it's funny in the way... Here's what's so interesting. You know, we always talk about how Glenn Danzig is a collector. He has a collector's mindset and a, and a mentality, but you never really see, I mean, you see it in some stuff, but like, do you think that even if Glenn has that mentality with the stuff that he's putting out, I mean, I don't think he gives, he doesn't give a crap in the same way that he cares about this stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like, look at how much he cares. He, I mean, this is where he's like, you know, this is where his encyclopedic knowledge of, of three hits from hell comes out or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like, not in the sense that, like, the, the comic book world's version of Cough Cool or the comic book world's version of Bullet. You know, Glenn Danzig is a fanatic in his own right. I got some of my favorite ones. This is Pure Hell by Big Daddy Ruff. You can see the date is 1965. Wow. Really underrated. 
uh, if you remember Rat Fink and all that stuff. I Pure health. The guy who mixed crazy monsters and monster cars. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. I mean, when I was a kid, I loved Big Daddy Roth stuff. I, don't, I mean, doesn't that work for a 60th generation? Monster cars with monsters. It just kids. I had pretty much. I didn't have. It makes sense as to why he covers Ratfink. You know, part of the reason why they were so into Ratfink. The regular car ones. I only got like the weirdos ones and the Big Daddy Roth ones. I actually have a piece by Mouse um, and Roth. Uh, actually, the Peterson Museum did a big exhibit of all the Big Daddy Roth art. Wow! Look at that. That's insane. Yeah, so this is a Lucifera cover by probably the premier Lucifera. All right, let's hear him pronounce the name that I could not pronounce that because I suck at reading. Ready? A cover artist, uh, Siriello, Omerano Siriello. So it's Siriello. So I wasn't totally off. I was, I was, I was a little bit off. Siriello. It's one of my favorite paintings. It's incredible. I mean, you look at Siriello and you see where he, what he was trying to do. Remember when I was reviewing Verotic, the Verotica, the movie, whatever it's called. I mean, this is where this is this is all this color. This is where all coming. This is what he's thinking of. He's thinking he was trying to do his own like sort of comic book style lighting. You know, there is a method to his madness, even if it's not well executed. As I said, you have taste and you have uh ability and you're trying to bridge the two to make them work together glenn could not do that however he definitely glenn has a good sense of taste you know you can't deny that it's here and for people who don't know you know italian comics are cool for many okay. okay so it's not erotic italian erotic comics it's just italian comics are for many for many character this is probably a later issue um, Maybe it shouldn't be from a Sally. Maybe it should be Jeff Frumetti, if anybody knows that story. It's a very famous character over there. I know Leon Frollo originally. Kind of got a devil lock there. She does. Leon Frollo started and designed the character and gave it to his studio to do. And then Love that devil. Came in uh, and started doing the interior art. And uh, Siriello did the later covers. Uh, probably starting at issue. Look, he's got bones in his pocket. Or so. uh, before that was Studio Rossi. Wow. Or, uh, studios over there. People don't part with hmm. Siriello covers. It's really hard to get them. What happened was I started dealing with somebody. Listen to him. Get, he just lights up, man. I bought some stuff from eBay. I mean, this is the real Glenn. Like, I feel like if you're, like, friendly, if you're not a fan, if you're not, like, just, like, you know, um, you know, some douchey, like, you know, interviewer, like if you're generally approaching Glenn from this, like, per like from this place, this is the Glenn you get, right? This is the, this is like the, 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 um, my, as, as Rue said, the, the horror kid, this is the horror kid coming out, the collector, the guy who will talk to you, you know, human to human. And it's not like, you know, I don't know. Interesting. They would send me lists of their stuff. And this was never on eBay. It was actually, the guy said, I have, such a cool cover. Cereal covers. Were you interested? And one of them was crap. Lucifer wasn't on it. And this one, which is insane, yeah, was there. And I was like, I'll take that one. How much is it? Got those right from Frank and Ellie. And I had to work on them. Wow. I want to sell them. <laughs> they weren't cheap. It's wash and pen and ink. It's pretty much. I don't even know if there is. He's so he's not just familiar with the names. He's not just familiar with the inkers. He also knows. 
the technique and the style and, and can look, you know, it's like, you know, you're admiring all sorts of aesthetics that, you know, the line work and, you know, the, um, the anatomy, like the, the, the choice, is it, is it an over-exaggerated anatomy or is it very much like Leonardo da Vinci, like true to life sort of didn't da Vinci did the painting of the modern man, you know, where it's like the, everything's in proportion. Any pen on there? Maybe on the fingers. Frank, you know, you can see Frank doing it sometimes. He's like, Look, he's just standing there right off camera, just showing stuff and pointing. Really meticulous. Like you know, some people just like, oh, you see. And he probably loves to show this stuff off because it's like he pays, you know, crazy amounts of money, you know, and it's like, what are you going to do? Of course, you want to show off, show everybody your collection. Isn't that the point of partially having a collection to let everybody know, to show everybody what you got? You know, you show everybody what you got and, you know, um, be like, and part of that too is the allure of like, I got this, you don't, I want you to see what I have and how cool it is. You know, I don't know. It's just a very interesting sort of psychology behind collecting. Uh, not, not necessarily saying that that's all collectors by any means, but it's just an interesting sort of, um, it's interesting. And then, you know, you know what could I mean? I guess it depends too. You know, this is a little bit different. This is like you're this. Th this is a drop in the ocean. You're never going to have the whole ocean when it comes to collecting comic book art. But then there are things like you know collecting a band's complete discography, right, start to finish, uh, which is you know might be really tough and might be really expensive, but not necessarily impossible. You know, the, the, I think the Misfits being the prime example. It's not impossible to collect the complete discography. Well, mostly. In, not impossible. I think it's slightly impossible if, if we're getting into test pressings and acetates and all that jazz. But, you know, um, if you have enough money and you know the right collectors, you probably, and you have a disposable, you know, you a bottomless bank account, of course you're going to find stuff. You're going to find everything you want. Oh, an Evil Eye of Three Pack, you know, a pink Legacy of Brutality. I mean, crap. We just saw that happen. We saw a pink Legacy of Brutality, one in 16. Go up on eBay. I wonder what Keith must think about that. He must be so like stoked that his stuff, you know, that's part of the reason why, too, maybe why he's not repressing the Sam Haynes stuff. Because in his mind, he's thinking about it in the same way that he's thinking about comic book art. And as a dude who spends six figures on comic book art, you know. I mean, of course, he wants his pieces maybe to be six figures. Something I don't know. I don't know. There's some. I think there's something to that if you think about it like that. And with the paintbrush, it's just insane. If you close in on this detail, it is insane. So I had to work on the Frazettas. <laughs> <laughs> Ellie is, as everyone knows, you know, Frazettas. That's how you say it. Uh, we buy stuff from Ellie. She was a tough negotiator. <laughs> But, you know, she knew how talented Frank was. Wow. I'd never problem with it. They were always both really nice, you know, people. Really nice to me. I just wanted to buy them both. And at the time, you know, I was working with them a lot. And, wow. Uh, getting a lot of stuff from them, too. And, uh, oh, you know what? That was stuff. definitely, that was right. Uh, this was from the podcast. I remember that from the podcast, actually. I heard I heard he keeps a really good eye on what his records go for on eBay. Really? 
Huh. And you know what's interesting? A long time ago, I was in contact with another documentarian picking his brain. He was trying to make a, a, a documentary called Legacy of Brutality. And it was really about Glenn. It was about all the bands. It was about Glenn. And Glenn and Doyle had been interviewed. Lots, lots of inform lots of stuff. Lots of stuff had done many, many interviews. And you know what? One of these things, I have the recording somewhere. I recorded our conversation. Um, because that's what I used to do when I get on the phone with uh someone uh in relation. I wanted because the thing is I don't like to write notes, but I needed to remember the information. So I would just record it. I record the phone call so I could reference it. So I have a lot of phone calls with like uh, different uh, misfits people like that. Um, just so I can remember it. I can never use it for anything because they didn't sign a release. They didn't even know they were being recorded. Um, but it was it was just so I could reference the thing. You know what I mean? Um, and uh, I'll never forget. He told me that he told me that Glenn that when he went to Glenn's house, all of his stuff was in disarray. Everything was soaked in cat piss like all the misfit stuff that he had at the time he didn't really have very much it was like, just like covered in cat piss and cat hair and shit. Do, is it true? I don't know, but it kind of blew my mind to think of a guy, a collector like Glenn would not take care of the stuff that he personally has. And you have to think about all the misfits artifacts. Like it, he's Glenn Danzig. So anything that he has is a misfits artifact in some way, shape or form, you know, think about the countless treasures that he has just held on to and not really like, told anybody about or just sort of like, you know, again, like, like this, this beautiful supposed, you know, Atlantis of, 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 of song compositions that sat that were in a trunk. Uh, you used to be able to see what he would buy on eBay. That was super cool. I remember one month he bought like a new Sabrina, the teenager, witch comic every day. Garbage Pail Kid original artwork. What? So you knew his, you knew what his eBay handle was, or you were buying stuff for him. Were you buying, you were buying stuff from him directly, right? That's how you knew. Wow. I would imagine. I was able to, you know, come up with the money to, to get these. You get the blending and shading. It's just insane. It's just, especially for the time period. Who's doing stuff like this during huh. the time period? It's just I love his appreciation. I love his appreciation of the aesthetics of the art. Crazy. It just when you look at it, it still holds up today. It's just like look at the faces. Nobody drew girls' faces like Oh, look at that. Verotic Verotic World eBay is his eBay. Huh. Or their bodies, but the faces especially. Everything looks like a cat girl. You know, it's a true artist. I think one of the things a lot of people liked about Frank was how sensuous his women were. I think Frank <laughs> really understood the female form that a lot of people don't really understand. But to, to like every detail, like the, the flip of the hair, and, you know what I mean? The wrists and the fingers. Boy, he's got a lot of stuff to say about that. Illustration. All right, so this is, uh, of course, another one of my favorite artists and I'm lucky enough to work with him. Right. He talks uh, about that. So he just talked about that in the uh, lethal amounts. You know, I figured it, I figured that's what the deal was. Craig, of course, Craig runs it, but Glenn's one buying stuff on it. Of course. Of course. Joe Chido. Oh, I didn't pronounce that name. Right. I butchered that name. I think I said Cheeto. 
sixties, you know, men's adventure, men today. Oh look, they're they're branded. Oh boy. I should probably be censoring this. Or a willing girl with the you know with the dancing skull. Ouch. So here it is without all the type and you know the logo or whatever, you know, all that kind of stuff. And you can see these girls actually have the brand already on them. Yeah. Branded already and they're gonna brand her. It's the typical like, those covers were great because it was just always like a girl being tortured. Look at those lot look at all the the old or nooks and crannies. You know, Castro and the Cubans or the Japanese or then it was the Russians and the cold. He just he's like he's so he just I know Pete, I did nipple slip. I'm not supposed to, or I'm trying not to. I did a lot. I, I was very good about covering Trash's nipples in uh, when I was doing Return of the Living Dead. And then, uh, then when that was out of fashion, it was like what can I say? Bikers. <laughs> then it, when Manson got arrested, you know, in the tape. Logan. I love how he just knows all the er- the whole era. Satanic hippie bikers. <laughs> and a lot of those covers, I would love to have some of those. Just so willy so nilly. So that's our homage to them. So there you go. I, I, I Man, I, I love that. I think that's so great. Truly. Now, here is some stuff that you may... Or, so here, So we talked about that. Now, the last thing I want to talk about is where do the misfits come into the comic book world? Where does Glenn come into the comic book world where people are incorporating him? We've talked about the Henry loves the Henry and Glenn forever comic. We're not going to talk about that now. That's already out. That's out there. That's obvious. That's not what I want to bring up. However, what you may not be aware of is in the DC world. And I wonder what Glenn thinks about this stuff in the DC world of comics. There is a character called Anthony Delphini, and he's from Prime Earth, and he is based on Glenn Danzig, or he's uh, a caricature of Glenn Danzig. This is from DC Comics. This is Glenn Danzig was inspired. So his name, uh, Big Tony, is a friend of Harley Quinn's and a tenant in her building. Uh, he's also friends with Mason Macabre and his mother, Madame Macabre. He's dating Queenie. Abilities, music, trivia. His look seems to be inspired by the singer Glenn Danzig. And obviously it is because when you look at, hold on, I don't, oh, I don't want to ruin this. Where's my, uh, whatever. When you look at, nope, not that one, not that one, not that one, not that, there you go. When you look at, at him, I mean, it's quite obvious. Big Tony, Mason, my man. They dropped the charges? Wait, don't tell me you escaped. And you're going to be hiding out for a while, am I right? I mean, look, he's got the, 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 the buckle. He's got the fishnet shirt and all black. I mean, it's just great. It's really, really great. I think that's hilarious uh, that, that, he was, that he is in that. So there's that. Then there's this. So this is like, I, I mean... There are other references of the misfits and zines. We talked about how, like, someone did like the devil lock penis, the penis devil locks and stuff when they were making fun of the misfits. Misfits got made fun of a lot, you know, for being muscle, muscle headed jocks. But this is actually a comic book from 1984, maybe, or 80. I don't know. It's from the mid 80s. And it's about the birth of, it's a comic book about the history of hip hop. Always keeping his foot in the punk rock world. Look at this. This is so crazy. 
So, so mentioning, um, I think they're talking about, talk about Rick Rubin, um, because of Rick Rubin's, uh, you know, because of Def Jam, right? So always keeping his foot in the punk rock world, Rick Rubin, yeah, Rick Rubin's New York City dorm room, New York University, NYU dorm room, isn't far from the energetic bands playing clubs like CBGB and Max's Kansas City. Bad Brains, Dead Kennedys, and there's the Misfits right there. And the, in the thought bubble, it says Henry. So it's like the foreshadowing of the Henry and Glenn Forever comics started way back in the 80s. A com, uh, and then at the bottom, you have the Beastie Boys. Right? And this is the Beastie Boys when they opened for the Misfits. This version of the Beastie Boys, they recorded a hardcore EP called Polywog Stew. This is before they went hip-hop. And in 1983, along with um, the Necros, the Beastie Boys opened for the Misfits. How about that? So it's like really cool, man. I mean, could you imagine being like a fan of punk rock, which is still a very counterculture underground thing, even in the 80s, even after the Sex Pistols first sort of really like bolster it on an international level, you know, Sid Kills Nancy. And then you're looking in like Marvel Comics is like, there are the misfits. Like my brain would melt. My brain would melt. Um, I wonder what the misfits thought of it. I wonder if the misfits have ever seen it. I just love it. I love it, man. I love the way they're portrayed. I wonder what Glenn thinks of it. You know, I, I mean, man, if I was Glenn and I had all that money and I, you know, was super into myself, I'd be buying up all kinds of, you know, inspired artwork. You got to think though, that that dude must appreciate artwork that's done of him. I know there's one dude, um, what's his face? He did a, um, a skeleton's rendition of, of Glenn Danzig, and he is not, Glenn was not pleased with that. Glenn was not happy about that. But what could he really do about it anyway? I don't know. Does it really infringe on his right to publicity if it's an original piece of art? I don't know. How does that stuff work? Let me tell you what, I need to know the answer to that question in a big, bad way. So this is really freaking cool. So this is from 1987, and this is this is a Ninja Turtles comic called Ghoul's Night Out. Can you see it? Here, this is Ghoul's Night Out. Silence. You can see the graveyard up top. Uh, Ninja Turtles started as this crazy independent black and white comic book. I believe they go for a lot of money. Uh, way before it became a popular kids cartoon or a kids movie, it was a like really sort of um, uh, uh, hardcore uh, indie underground comic book. Tanner says he wasn't a fan of the guy selling the shirts and posters with the artwork. There you go. Okay. So that was the, uh, that was the thing that upset him greatly. How about that? Um, but it's called Ghoul's Night Out. And then the, the other thing, Right here, look. It says on the tombstone, it says October 31st, 1983. Special thanks to the Misfits. You can almost hear your own heartbeat because of the sounds. And Tavolt was the guy who drew it. Story and art by Tavolt Tabot in 87. So, you know, the Misfits really died in on on the what was it, the 29th or the 30th? What was the final show? 1029, 1983, or 1030th, 1983, one of them. Not, it wasn't the 31st, though. 
Um, but that was the date when the Misfits died or broke up or when Sam Hain was born. So it was like, I love that it's RIP, special thanks to the Misfits, and it's called Ghoul's Night Out. So there's an ode. I wonder, I bet that's something that Glenn would love to have in his collection, right? I'm sure he does. Um, talk about that one. We talked about them all. Oh, what happened to the um what happened to the Wolverine? The last thing I just talked to Eric Talbot about his uh, Tabot Talbot about this ghoul's night out artwork. He would later do Graves era misfit shirts. How about that? There you go. The old Ninja Turtles was crazy. Um, man, I can't find. So then, the last thing with all of this is, Glenn was was going to possibly be Wolverine at some point in the '90s, and obviously it didn't happen. Um, you know, it might have just been stunt casting. Who knows if it would have, you know, really worked? Again, who knows if if Glenn can really act? Could Glenn act like that? I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, he sure looks the part, but could he act the part? And I don't think it ever got past, didn't get past anything but like initial talks. But there, but Glenn was going to play Wolverine in the 90s, in 1994. You know, he was always touring and they were like, well, you got it. You can't tour if you're going to do the role and blah, 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 blah. It didn't work out, whatever. I don't even know all the details, um, but that's something that's always talked about. Uh, they are the same height. Glenn is supposedly 5'3 without any lifts, and that's how tall Wolverine is originally. I, I think there are some comics that show Wolverine a little bit taller now, but it used to be that Wolverine was always 5'3. So it does it definitely makes sense. And you know, the thing I wanted to show, and I deleted it already, or I can't find oh, maybe it's in here. Um, the thing that I wanted to show you was just this uh sort of this Glenn Danzig. Where did it go? Huh. Uh, this Glenn Danzig looking Wolverine from the who read the who read the the origin series the Wolverine origin series uh, there was a I don't think Glenn wanted to meet with Harvey Weinstein at the Four Seasons yeah no no bathroom time for Glenn definitely not um. There was an origin series that uh, from Wolverine Origins, uh, after Wolverine Origin. So they did an origin story for Wolverine in 2000, and then they followed it up with a series in, in the 2000s, I guess, uh, that I used to read avidly. I probably read that from 2005 to about 2009. Uh, and it, the, saga, the saga revealed that he had a son. Wolverine has a son that has a, a claw that, Two claws that pop out here and one claw that pops out. Dakin. Dakin was the name of the son. He was in the dark. He was the dark Wolverine for Dark Avengers. It's true, man. It really is history. It's history. That, like what he was saying to Jack Kirby in that interview. That's how we treat it. Um, so, yeah, that's basically it. I don't really. T- tonight's episode was not very inspired. Kind of low energy tonight. A lot going on in the world. Um not getting not going to talk about that stuff but just crazy and um i really got to get going on digitizing these tapes man uh, like i said for anybody who's joined us you see right here there she is this is where i shot this is the camera i used to shoot all of the those misfit interviews and i have to redigitize all the tapes 
And who knows what secrets they may or may not hold. Um, I've forgotten a lot of stuff over the years. And so it'll be really, really great, really fun, really awesome to go back and look through, wade through hours and hours and hours of tape as I start pulling selects. Basically, everything I did for 1979, but even more complicated because of the sheer amount of interviews uh, and made further complicated by the art side. By the way, I'm going to put this out into the universe. I am looking for artists. If you are an artist and you are a fan of the Misfits, I want to talk to you. Or if you know someone who is an artist and is a fan of the Misfits, I want to talk to them. Okay? It's very important. Um, That's all I'm going to say about that. So if anybody, I'm putting that out into the universe. Something that's held me up for a really, really long time. So again, if you are an artist or if you know an artist, if you know artists that can draw lots of drawings that are down, really down to, to do some artwork. I want to talk to you. See what's what. Um, assuming that I like your art style, assuming that it fits the vision of what I'm looking for, uh, please get in touch. Uh, the way, okay, Rue, if you're an artist, I want to see what you can do. Uh, Rue, um, let's, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll send you my email. Rue, that's what I'll do. Um, then again, that's assuming that I like the art. It has to fit my style. Doesn't mean that you're a bad artist or that I'm not, that you're a lackluster artist in any way, shape, or form. I just, I'm looking for something very specific, okay? Or I'm looking for something that can fit what I need, okay? Very, very, very important. So, um, uh, I don't know what else there is to say. Okay. All right. Let's see. Let's see it, Rue. Um, I, I definitely would like to see your stuff. That's right, because Rue is a tattoo artist. I, I knew that. Rue, Rue is a tattoo artist. And usually um, I, I've definitely had some wonderful experiences working with tattoo artists. They're, they're great. They are great. All right, Rue. You, I'm, I'm going to take a look. Uh, definitely. And I'll give you my, my, honest, my honest appraisal as to whether I think it aligns with a vision or not. So, um, so yeah, if there's anybody else out there, let me know as well. Uh, curious. And, uh, I hope to come back next Wednesday, way more sort of energized and awake. Uh, tomorrow we have Monty a Melnick tour manager for the Ramones on pizza punk. That's going to stream live at three o'clock on this channel. Subscribe. If you are not subscribed, please. Turn alerts on so you know when 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 shows are, are, are airing. Doing original videos all the time. We have that Nick Cage video that I did earlier today about the Wicker Man. Take a look at that. Um, oh my God, should we really just six more minutes and then it's six more minutes and it's two hours? That's what always happens to me. I always I have this sort of obsessive compulsive like thing where I I need to round. I like round numbers and I cannot lie. Okay, that's the truth. That's the other truth. Yes, stay safe as well. Thank you, Rue Morg. Um, any other Danzig, Misfit Samhain Danzig references in comics that we have overlooked? I'm sure there are. I'm sure there's a ton of them. Guys, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop at two hours flat because that's what I do. I can't. I just can't 
stop it. An hour and 55 minutes just doesn't work for me. I just can't do it. I can't do it. Um, <laughs> I'll show you this time. Hold on. When I was in college, I was uh, I was a production designer in college, and I, I was working I was working with a set designer on on a short film, and we we needed to put school flyers flyers up in the school, and so he uh, my friend Jordan uh, I call him Jordanzig, <laughs> uh, he 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 printed these up, and I still I saved two of them, and I had them framed, uh, although the glass broke on this one, and I just love it so much. Um, and it was really what it was just a cool little touch to put in the background. It was just our own little inside joke. In many ways, I would imagine this is what happened with Saved by the Bell. You know, uh, Saved by the Bell, 1987, 1988. Um, you see the the Evil I think it's an Evil Live poster or it's something, something like that on in on Jesse's during the I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I'm so like Jesse's a Misfits fan. And it's just so funny because somebody's just like like that. That's not accidental. It's totally on purpose. Somebody put that there so that it would appear on national TV at a time where you know it was very hard to do anything national. I mean, these days, look, we're we're recording internationally right now as I'm speaking. I'm speaking to the whole world right now. I know it's a very small scale, but I'm speaking to the whole world right now. Try doing that in 1987. That's not an easy thing to do. Or whatever the 80s, whenever it was done. So the fact that this guy got a poster up in the set dress for Saved by the Bell. It just really is something else. We've talked about that here before. But um, yeah, I just thought this was really great. So that's that's a little something. There we go. A little something to kill kill sometime. What did Pete say? Sam Hain box set comic. What about that? Oh, yeah, that's right. Glenn did have a comic made for Sam Hain. You, you know, I, want, I would imagine that he would expand on that. Why wouldn't he do that for Veronica? Why wouldn't he do more of that? Why wouldn't he do more of that? I don't know. I'd buy that comic. <clears throat> Got a little bit more water left to drink today. I drink one of these every day. I drink a whole one of these. I want to try and lose a few pounds. <sighs> I eat entirely too much sugar cookies candies cakes started when i quit smoking about 12 years ago it's not good it's not good but uh yeah i'm doing a little bit of a cleanse and what does rue say <clears throat> michael kaluda comic book artist who did black aria was wicked good and he also did uh Nativity in Black Sabbath tribute. Interesting. Peter says it was the dude that drew the Mr. Monster comics that drew it. Huh. I did not know that. Glenn used to read Mr. Monster. Matter of fact, I believe that the band Mr. Monster, Jason Trioxin and JV, that band, the Mr. Monster band, they took the name Jason took the name Mr. Monster because he had seen on the Danzig one home video he saw glenn reading a mr monster comic or something to that effect in one of those videos 
And that gave him the idea for the name Mr. Monster. Because, yes, Mr. Monster is actually a comic book title, which I believe was popular in the late 80s. I'm not sure. All right. Now I'm really leaving. Hope you had a wonderful time. Subscribe, like, comment, share. We're going to be ending the broadcast right now. I'll see you tomorrow. I'll be back. Might do another live pizza this Sunday if I can um, uh, lock lock my guest in for then. In the meantime, peace and hair.